We said meh. M-E-H. Meh. Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, it's not all glory and cash and checks. Being an entrepreneur is a day-to-day grind, and frankly, a lot of it is meh. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I got a list here of five things that I think entrepreneurs in the audience might be able to relate to or comment on. And if you're thinking about starting a business, maybe growing it and selling it, these are some of the meh things that you have to look forward to. Dan, I did a presentation. I don't know if you remember this. I've only given like four or five, so you should. They're excellent, though. You've really channeled your energy because they were good. One of the things that I talked about is the milestones in our business and how there's probably only like four or five of them over the course of seven years that were extraordinary. The rest of the moments were just day-to-day life. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Is the meh. Yeah, like Wednesday and it's 9 a.m. and you have 100 emails and you should really reply to them. This episode might be what all of entrepreneurship is about. Like when we talk and we come on and we talk about this was so successful, that was so successful. It's like, yeah, that happened one time. (laughs) One time we're successful. (laughs) We want to hear about your stories. This episode will be posted at tropicalmba.com slash meh. Number one, people aren't going to give a crap about your business. Only your mom. Not even your mom, most of the time. Not even your mom. When you go to a dinner party, when you go out to the bar, you meet some new people, and people ask you, what is it that you do? What was your answer when you were first starting out, like five years ago, when you would meet a new person, say, in a social situation, and they would say, hey, you know, it's great to meet you. What do you do? It was about 15 sentences long. I could never really articulate it. People were confused generally after I had told them, slightly annoyed. I really didn't have a good way to explain what I did. I thought I was unique and special, and it took a long time to explain that. That's the thing. It's like, you know, you have to like go back to the person and be like, are you ready for this? Because this is going to be impressive. (laughs) I'm going to need a few minutes here. Because even if they get it, the 5% of people that are like, oh, yeah? You're running a business? You know, the sentences start to tilt up at the end. You know, like, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, yeah? Huh? yeah? My uncle has a pizza place. And it never turns out well. And even nowadays, when I've evolved, I've simplified. And when people ask me what I do, sometimes I'll just say, get this. I've gotten real elegant. I'll say, I have a radio show. And people look at me like I just said, I have just arrived from Venus, the planet Venus where I live. (laughs) That's the look I get. So I can't win now. I just can't win. I think the important thing with talking about what you do is explaining it in a way so people can understand and they can participate because that's really where the opportunity is. It's not so you feel good about what you do. Absolutely. And a quick tip, and I think this is critical because obviously we've mentored a lot of people that are new to the entrepreneurial community. And, you know, this is sort of a joke when, you know, you're at a dinner party meeting random people. But when you're meeting entrepreneurs at, say, a conference or a meetup, it all of a sudden becomes critical for you to be able to describe what you do well and quickly. One or two sentences, figure it out, have it in your back pocket. That's the new business card. 
Well, here's the thing, though. It's more difficult than it seems, right? Like back in the day, it was very simple. It was like, I'm a doctor, I'm an insurance salesman, I'm a shoe salesman, you know, whatever it is. Now it's a little bit more convoluted. So it's like, well, I do like this clicky thing on the internet. And like, do you know what like a hello bar is? Because if you do, like, we're the back end of that. And like, it gets complicated. Let me ask you a question, Ian, and be honest on this one. Did you ever tell anybody that you sold cat furniture for a living and how did that go? (laughs) I said it only when I thought I could maybe impress a girl. That's the best you could come up with. That was really the best I could come up with, yeah. I'll tell you one insider story about, you know, people who got to know our business without fail would be super disappointed that our cat furniture business wasn't more successful. I thought that was so charming, you know, like people would be like, oh yeah, portable bars, valet equipment, you know, all these other things we were selling. They're like, what about the cat stuff though? I mean, I really think that the cat furniture has incredible potential. I mean, you guys aren't doing enough here. It might be the only example of someone giving a crap about our business is when we talked about the cat stuff. It was, because I think that they felt like cats should have great design, which was originally the concept behind the whole thing. Turns out not that successful. Turns out they don't care that much about design either. They don't care at all. All right, boss man, I'm going to run point number two by you. The number two thing that's meh about being an entrepreneur is managing people and getting managed, and in particular, getting fired and firing people. Meh. It's totally meh. It's awful. It's meh. I remember we were working together. We had just like got to know each other. You had to <laughs> fire, I think it was like the operations person or the warehouse manager or whatever it was, man. And you just look, you look like you were not having a good day. And that's the first time I thought like, wow, that doesn't look like it's that much fun. Not to be melodramatic, but it still racks up as like one of the top 20 worst days of my life, which says something about the charmed nature of my existence so far. But Honestly, it's horrible. It's a horrible feeling, and it's something that sometimes you have to do, in particular if it's your own company. I mean, you're talking about the survival of the key asset in your family's life, you know, and like you can't just be a nice person all the time. Sometimes you have to do what's right for the business. You know, honestly, I don't think most people would be willing to do it. And I think part of me used that justification to get through it. I was sort of like, I think that most people wouldn't do this. Because in that case, I had suggested it and I had championed it and figured it was the right thing for the business. And I thought, this is what's going to set you apart. Becoming an axe man. <laughs> yeah, because other people weren't willing to do it. And everybody knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah, it was horrible. You know, I lost a couple of years of my life off of just anxiety from that one week. That sucks. And another thing is if you're going to be a truly entrepreneurial employee, you might get sacked for that. I remember when I was 16, I tried to redesign the menu at the restaurant I worked at. You little precocious jerk. Down at the chimney corner. That's what it was called. And at one time, my boss, who had no problem sacking people, because these people in the restaurant industry, I think they're used to it, calls me to the office and is basically like, look, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of you with your suggestions and your ideas. <laughs> We're just done. Like, we don't want to deal with you anymore. <laughs> when you're 16, you're not thinking, wow, I have a bright future in entrepreneurship and management. You're thinking like, what's wrong with these people? My ideas are great. Right. So Ian, tell me, do you think that having to make these difficult decisions in business, in particular firing people, is that the hardest thing you've done as an entrepreneur? It definitely racks up there in terms of stress. Yeah. But I think, you know, maybe I view it a little bit differently. You know, most of the people in our business, we had a say in hiring them. And so anytime I feel like somebody needs to take a walk, I feel like it's a failure on my part, probably more so than it is on their part. And so, yeah, it's pretty difficult to have that conversation. But I think I'm probably beating myself up a little bit more than the average 
average person, if that makes sense to you. Sure. I think just generally speaking, I think managing people can be really stressful and it can be really a grind. In fact, I remember we had a high level event in Singapore and like this was really focused on millionaires and people growing million dollar businesses. And these were very successful people. And I remember thinking like there's one problem that everybody in this room has and it ain't taxes. It's management. It's interesting to talk to younger entrepreneurs about that. If you want to find a way to get ahead in your career, this is a topic that people need help with. I mean, it's just really, really hard work. So if you want to get ahead in your career, getting some knowledge and experience with how to effectively manage people and getting good at it, I think that's a great way forward. Yeah, whenever anybody, especially entrepreneurs, say, I'm not good at managing people, I just look at them with my tongue out and I'm just like, blah. (laughs) Like, really, dude, that's the best that you can do. What I mean is that as an entrepreneur, that's what you do. I don't know too many people with successful companies that only have one person in their company. Eventually, once your revenues start increasing and once you start doing more interesting things and once you start to become successful, you're going to have to work with other people. I just think it's BS if you don't know how to essentially interact with people because that's what managing is, right? It doesn't mean like I tell this person what to do and they do exactly what I want them to do. It means I know how to communicate with people in a way that we both accomplish our goals together. So work on that. Number three, meh thing about being an entrepreneur. And frankly, this is sort of a meh point. I'm pretty sure you entered this one on the sheet, (laughs) boss man. Why are you going to out me like that? People screwing with you. What do you mean people screwing? No, you're screwing with me. I know that you got a fragile psychology, so why don't you share your story first? I mean, this is a real thing. When you're an entrepreneur, it can be a little bit different than when you're in an office. You know, one of the things that I remember from being in the corporate world is that people were routinely cruel to each other in really sort of underhanded ways, you know? In the corporate world, you can just kind of write that passive-aggressive email, and you can be like, yep, he's going to eat that email. And then you just go home and you eat a sandwich, you know, and that's it. (laughs) You can't do that when that person is your client and they're paying the electric bill. And there's also this issue of, and I don't think this applies to people in the digital economy, generally speaking, is that this isn't like someone walks into your shoe shop and buys a pair of shoes and like walks back out and like one out of a hundred comes back and complains. I mean, you kind of got this vague sense of like people judging you from all angles. You know, you put up anything on the internet and you don't know who's looking at it, but you can freak yourself out about people saying mean things about you, not liking what you're doing. And you really have to kind of come to terms somehow with that reality that might be true in a past life, but you weren't aware of it that, you know, 40% of the people that meet you don't really like you that much. Everybody's kind of a celebrity these days in their own way, right? And so it's like, oh, you're a YouTube celebrity. Now you get to feel the pain of what these poor people on TMZ go through on a weekly basis, right? Reading their headlines in the Inquirer and things like that. I mean, on some level, right? And people are really, really insecure, I think is one thing. And so they project a lot of things onto you on the internet. I think, honestly, we've been pretty fortunate in this way that we haven't gotten a lot of hate yet. So I'm saying up until this point, it's been pretty nice. But we have been screwed with with suppliers and with people that we work with in our e-commerce business previously. Yeah, for sure. 
one of the things that we did to combat things like that was we just fired them. So we just said, what percentage of our revenue is this company worth? And is it worth the headache of dealing with their childish tendencies or whatnot? And then we would just fire them. And I remember on many occasions, we would just let these clients go. So we would forego the revenue because it wasn't worth dealing with them. We had this corporate customer, and it was one of our bigger customers, Dan. I know you know who I'm talking about, but I won't name any names on this podcast. Oh, you're so kind. We were a small company, you know, so we had 15 employees, and I think it was a much different culture than they had. They had several thousand employees. And the way that they talked to you just made you feel like you were very small. That was kind of one of their tactics, you know? It was like, hey, we know that we're a much bigger company. We think that we're smarter and better because of it, and we're going to push these guys around. Sure. Didn't appreciate it very much. It's one of the things, actually, that I'd feel the best about these days, Dan, is not having to work with people like that. Yeah, just cutting bait, saying we don't need it. You know, we're running a lifestyle business. You guys all have a bunch of jobs. Hope you're having fun with writing your passive-aggressive emails. But something to consider when you're managing other people in your company is to understand that your team is not insulated from these things. And don't think that you can just say, delegate this down and hit the golf course and that all these emotions go away. Someone has to deal with these things. Exactly. Our team had to deal with this corporate client too. It made them feel awful as well. I think you really got to look out for that. You know, one thing I'm reminded of as well that can kind of psychologically screw with you is that like when you were back in the corporate world or an employed person, you know, you interact with people in like a quote normal way. But when you become an entrepreneur with resources and some money and the ability to change people's lives, all of a sudden conversations that once might have been normal, all of a sudden have all these stakes attached to them. And so people might try to screw with you to like get things out of you or for more petty reasons, like they feel competitive, but that competitiveness might manifest in, you know, like subtle put downs or I've been on the receiving end of disingenuous advice from people that said they were my mentors. I feel bad saying that, but I think it's true. Like 10 years ago, this was just a smart person that you're talking to you know, asking for advice. And now all of a sudden you're an entrepreneur and things are different because there's some stakes attached to the conversation that you might not be used to recognizing and that can lead to like psychological head traumas. So boss man, let's move on to number four. Sometimes as an entrepreneur, you're gonna feel like a fraud. Now, I think you're going to have to backfill this one because I'm not sure that I've ever felt that fraudulent. I want to hear what you venture first, and then I'll tell you my fraudulent story. I was doing a little deep dive YouTube the other day, watching videos of my favorite rapper, Action Bronson. Oh, that's delicious. You look astonished. Your boy is ill with the finest. Is Gary Payton at the pill for the sonics. Believe it or not, it's hard to find a full concert with Action Bronson. Generally, it's like these three or four minute deals. Anyways, I found some from back in the day when he was in San Francisco. And then I watched some of his newer presentations when he was in, I think, Toronto. Extremely different presentations. In fact, I think the original shows that he did in San Francisco were much more kind of who I think Action Bronson is and the ones that he's doing today are a little bit more, I don't know, maybe corporate-y. I would imagine, Dan, when I was watching these that it's very difficult, A, to kind of find your voice and find your peace through this whole journey. But when I saw the original concerts, I thought, yeah, you know, he had to start somewhere, right? So did he like envision who he thought a rap star was and then he like kind of got on stage and then now this is more like who he is today when I watched this Toronto concert? Just trying to piece it together. 
you know? And I think sometimes when we're going down this entrepreneurial journey, a lot of people say like, fake it till you make it. But I, I think really what they might be expressing is emulate other people until you find your own voice. If you go back and listen to episode number one of this podcast, it's like, hey, this is uh, Dan. And today <laughs> we're going to talk about um, how to make a product. Yeah, buddy. Thanks for downloading the first episode of the Tropical MBA podcast. I'm here with, well, a guy I call the boss man. It's the CEO of our fine organization. Introduce yourself, boss man. How's it going, guys? Welcome to the very first episode. Actually, this is the very first re-recorded episode. It's like that. The whole thing's like that, and it's like that for 22 episodes when it was just my mom listening. God bless her. And to be fair, I think she ducked out after episode three, but... <laughs> I can't take this. I'm on the fence about this whole imposter syndrome thing because half of the time that people write a blog post about imposter syndrome, I'm thinking to myself, well, you should feel like an imposter. You know nothing. Like, none of this makes any sense. You know, you're not a copywriting pro. You're just somebody who learned copywriting last week, and that's obvious. But here's the good news if you learned copywriting last week it doesn't mean that you can't help people, it doesn't mean that you can't say something meaningful about copy. You don't have to dress yourself up as someone who's the next coming of copy genius. I think there's a line to be drawn here. You have to have that confidence of like, you're not going to be the best the first day. You got to put something out there. True story, Dan. The other day, somebody asked me what I did. And it was the first time that I had ever told somebody in earnest that I'm a podcaster. Like, I just didn't have that confidence, you know? Before that, I was like, well, I had a business, you know, and I sold it like 10 years ago. It's actually only a year ago. It feels like 10 years ago. In earnest, I said, I'm a podcaster. That's what I do now. And it's taken me a long time. How many years have we been doing these podcasts for me to admit to myself and to the world that that's what I do now? Well, that's an interesting point because, you know, as a business person, you might feel not as confident saying that you're a podcaster. I used to lean on the business as well, even though I didn't work in it anymore very often. That's why it collapsed, because you were leaning on it. <laughs> That's fraudulent. That's deeply fraudulent. That's what I was doing. So Ian, do you think any of this behavior is related to age? You know, like when you're younger, is it more likely that you're going to go onto the web and proclaim yourself to be an expert? Or does this iron itself out as you progress through your career? Here's the reason why you catch more young people in lies than you do older people is because older people have learned, right? It's like, well, if I start talking about this and this other person knows a little bit more than me and I've left myself no opportunity to not be an expert here, I'm going to look like an asshole. When you're younger, <laughs> you just don't think about the repercussions of that. <laughs> right. As a young person, advice to random young people off the street, you're going to get way farther with people you want to get far with if you just ask them questions about how smart they are rather than proclaiming your own intelligence. But I think that there's a problem on the opposite end of experience too, which is like sometimes there's an inverse relationship between like the length of your CV or resume and how good you are at creating results. You know, like oftentimes you'll meet these really experienced people who just like, oh, they go on and on about all the big companies and clients they worked with. And it's like they can't do much. They haven't done much. They've just been associated with all of these things that you know about. And funny enough, generally those people are the ones that don't feel like they're a fraud. I think the simplest and easiest thing here to do is just stick with your track record. 
You don't have to feel any of this stuff if you just talk clearly about the things that you've done and the results that you've created, regardless of how big or small they are. I think oftentimes people will be impressed by things getting done, even at a small scale. It's often the case that those small achievements can be plugged into big organizations. So focus on what's unique about your position. I don't think that trying to be bigger than you are is really a good strategy. Alrighty, and before we get to point number five, I think it makes sense for us to take a step back and talk about something I think most entrepreneurs can relate to. In fact, let's go there together. Go to a place I like to call the trough of despair. I think I'm in it right now, man. In fact, I think I am too, because I had an immediate high at like points one and two. I was like, this episode is going great. Now I'm like, I don't know if we're going to make it. I think people are going to hate it. By the way, it's not always brighter on the other side. And sometimes you don't make it up the hill. Sometimes it's so muddy that you slip down and that's where you spend the rest of your life. Now, the trough of despair is not something that we came up with. This is a commonly talked about entrepreneurial principle. Paul Graham, Seth Godin, and many others. You know, when you first start a venture, you get that high. Like, I remember the day we sold our first not valet podium. And I say not valet podium because we didn't have any. All we had was a sales page, but somebody bought it. Some person in the Caribbean of all places wanted one. It's probably fraudulent, but we were in Pacific Beach in the cantina. (laughs) And I had that iPhone. I invested, quote, I was making payments on my iPhone. I was like the first person in the United States to have an iPhone. And I got notified of every single email I received because this was novel stuff back then. And I wasn't receiving that many emails. (laughs) And so sure enough, we're sitting there eating our eggs and ping. Some random person has bought this product, does not exist. Instead of following good business principles and being like, we should test this a little bit more. I'm pretty sure both of us were like, this is definitely going to work. Order it. (laughs) I need 50 grand order it. We're good. We're getting into this. But I say that like that was one of the most exciting days of my entire life because there's this moment when you make money without like an interloper, you know, when you just like someone pays you money for something that you did. That's like the clouds partying. That's how I felt like, holy shit. Can I say that? It's your show. I felt like, holy shit, I can make money. Sure. Like the next month, we had like the most ambitious growth plan. I remember we had a product development cycle that included 11 products. Do you remember the piece of paper it was on? It was two pieces of paper taped together. Oh, yeah. That's how ambitious it was. 100%. We had to tape (laughs) an extra A4 because like this one A4 won't do it. Because we're going to make a new product every month. And I'm pretty sure in the eight years that we ran the business, we didn't have that many products (laughs) the whole time. (laughs) I think year four, we made it there. In year four, pretty much was the trough of despair. That's where we're coming back to. That's what I'm getting to here, is that there's a moment after that high, after all the initial coffee, the monsters, the cigarettes, the long weekends, where you start to wonder, holy shit, is this going to work? And not in a good way, but like in a very real way, like this may not work. And here's what gets even worse is that there's no way in many businesses to speed up the feedback loop. Like you actually won't know for another year or maybe more. And this is where judgment comes in and uncertainty. So judgment, you're a new entrepreneur. Is the business going to work? Should you cut bait or should you, as they say, persevere, grit up, work harder, make it happen? And you just don't know. Like, there's absolutely no way to know. And that, for me, is the trough of despair. Now, combine that with not having any money, and you've got your despair. 
It gets worse. It's called the peak of disappointment. I'm sitting in my new house right now that I've bought with the money that we sold from our business, Dan. And you look outside. Let's get real. It's technically a ranchette. It's a ranchette. (laughs) I don't think we're using that term anymore. And you look outside and you think, this is it? This is what all the work went towards? Right? It's like when you make a new purchase. This is my new car. I drove it for two weeks. Well, now it's my old car. So it gets worse. So I I don't want to give the illusion that you can actually get out of that. And if you are able to climb up to the top, I'm just telling you the view might not be that great. I'll tell you when my trough of despair ended. It ended when I paid off my college loans. I remember that. I remember the first time you sent me a little bit of money. And I used over half of the money that you sent me to pay off my college loans and my credit card bills. I think I've admitted that before. I paid off my credit card bills, which were quite high because we were going to Nordstrom's a lot for some inexplicable reason. And I was charging everything and I paid all that stuff off. And at that moment, I was kind of like, all right, like I've got the skill set. I'm liquid. You know, I'm out of debt. The business is alive. And I feel like, okay, I'm good. But that trough of despair was a good two years. It was a good 24 months of like, I don't know, you know? So it's real. People go through it. It's a real thing. All right, Ian, we saved our best point for last. You wrote this one. Are we through the trough of despair? We're through the trough of despair. Have we passed over the peak of disappointment? The podcast has passed over the peak of disappointment, and we are slowly gliding down the bunny hill to the end of the episode. This point is something that actually annoys me, and it's having to build the scaffolding from scratch at every corner in your life. And look, this is a high-quality problem, but you know, when you go to a job, it's like they pay your taxes for you. They tell you where to go, what to do, who to pay, how to write it. And I want that freedom in my life to make those own determinations, but it is a lot of work to do things that have already, at least in my mind, been figured out. I really personally get annoyed by that scaffolding, like building that structure, because what I want to be doing and what the reason I became an entrepreneur in the first place is that I want to build things like I want to do things. I don't want to build the structures that support those things. Personally, I find this to be a big part of the meh of being an entrepreneur, because it's really tough to bring people in to do this, right? Like this is part of what you're building. You're building organizations, you're building a structure for your life and your business. And it's really hard to say, hey, smart person, do it for me, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you need a business partner that does all the grunt work. (laughs) Is that accurate? Ian, it's worth asking then, do you feel like differently about this, that the scaffolding is part of the fun for you? Yeah, I do in some cases feel like it's part of the fun. I mean, I I go through different phases, right? So it's like sometimes I want to be creative and then other times there's a part of me as an entrepreneur that wants to build out the systems and also see this be sustainable. So I kind of understand both sides of it and I understand the necessary evils of having to build a scaffolding. But some of the advantages of building the scaffolding in my mind is that it allows you to be creative for longer and it provides you with that infrastructure and sometimes it's that cash register that allows you to continue to create your art for as long as possible. Although it is annoying, I do definitely see a benefit to it, Dan. And I do think it's investing in a lot of times. Now, the trick, I think, as an entrepreneur is to say, like, how little can we invest in as we go along, right? So it's like, oh, I'm not going to worry about necessarily all this incorporation crap and all this tax crap and yada, yada. It's like, what's the minimum that I can get away with so I can be creative today 
and continue to be creative in the future. That's funny that you mentioned that because sometimes if you follow the metaphor to its complete useless end, scaffolding's a lot easier to put up than a brick building or a stone building that's going to last a long time. It can often be seductive choice to like, hey, I'm just going to set up all these systems and I'm going to you know get all this stuff set up. And you forget that like, hey, the whole point here is the building. Right. And are you building that for first time entrepreneurs? I mean, it's like the go to, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I got everything locked down. I got my domain. I got this. I got that. Because it's, that's what you do in the corporate world, right? It's like you solve these little problems that are very obvious to be able to solve. It's the creative work that's the hardest. Amen. And this podcast is a great example of that. We had scaffolding for this episode for like weeks. All right, boss man, that'll do it for this one. We're down the bunny slope through the trough of despair. We'd love to hear what you think about this topic, we're going to post the show notes to this episode at tropicalmba.com slash meh, M-E-H. If you feel like this episode is sort of meh, don't terrorize us about it because that's just going to add to our meh and then we're going to have more meh. Meh. I've been thinking about this a little bit lately. Like, I think the reason I like talking about these topics is that I think that these are problems that are unique to entrepreneurs in some ways. Like we have this world of anxiety and things that are going on like largely in our heads or in our businesses, which are pretty limited in scope. And then, you know, you got to disconnect from your computer and go out into the real world. And I'm wondering, do you ever find yourself being a little resentful or having a hard time kind of getting on the same page with people, say your friends or your family? Because I've kind of caught myself in the past few years sometimes being resentful of people like not getting this stuff. I feel like a child, you know, sometimes like, you don't know how important this stuff is to me. You know what I mean? Like, do you ever catch yourself doing that? Yeah. So what you're saying is like the work that you're working on, you feel like is more important than the average person that's getting ice cream next to you. If I can play a child psychologist over here for a minute, I'd say it's your mom's fault. Just kidding. Your mom is great. My mom, luckily, as you <laughs> noted, doesn't listen to the podcast anymore. So. <laughs> I can identify with your point, though, Dan. It's all my fault. Oh, it's always your fault. Yeah. It's me having difficulty relating. And sometimes it could be me. Like when I know that I'm not doing a good job, it's easy to like blame others around you rather than just doing your job. Here's the issue, Dan. <laughs> Straight up. You've been out of general pop for too long. And we've all met these people that have been out of general pop for too long. And hopefully you won't become a threat to society. But I can say that you're not going to be very fun to interact with about five years from now. Because you just not understand what the common person is going through anymore. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. You can interact <laughs> with us at tropicalmba.com slash meh. We'll see you next week, boss man. Meh. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com. Hey, I just want to jump in at the end to let you know that next week, we got a really special guest on the show. And that's not to say that everyone we have on the show isn't special. Just this one was a big deal for Boss Man and myself. In fact, a few minutes before this happened, so I'm not able to add somebody to this call. Let me see if I can. I'm not sure. I've never added. Oh, yeah. Look, add. All right. Looks like that's happening. Bossman was practically green with nerves, and if you ever met him, he's not very often a nervous person. So who was it that created such nerves in the Bossman and myself, and what's he going to say? Well, it's a mystery, and we do encourage you to listen in next week to find out.